Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. This morning, I hope you have your Bibles. We always start straight with uh, with God's Word. So turn, there's going to be two scriptures today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 and John chapter 2. Matthew 26 verses 57 through 68 and then John chapter 2 verses 16 through 25. So we'll be looking at those scriptures this morning. We are two weeks from Easter. As Mary just sang about, He is still alive. Jesus was resurrected on Easter morning. That's what we will celebrate and remember right here in our, in our sanctuary. So I want to invite you to come to Easter in two weeks, of course. You need to come to church every Sunday, but especially on Easter. And not only that, it's an opportunity for us to remember that we are saved, we are Christians, We are born again because of the resurrection. Jesus is not buried in a tomb anywhere. He is alive in heaven because of what we will observe in two weeks. So that is an exciting time. It's also an opportunity for you to think about maybe someone you can invite to Easter. Last year, David, if you remember Easter, I preached empty pews and it was weird. I mean, it was definitely not like Easter in the past whatsoever. It was the most odd Easter in the world. So um, normally Easter is a time for a celebration and we're just talking to a camera. So if you all remember that last year from Easter. But today we're going to be looking at a section of scripture that really is leading up to Easter. Jesus was arrested and crucified. And we're going to look at really the charge about why Jesus, in many ways, the false charge why Jesus was arrested. Why did people not like, why did the Jewish religious leaders not like Jesus so much? And we're going to see that, and he uses the word rebuild. So that's kind of our theme we're going to see. And Jesus, in the context of rebuild, Jesus, he's going to talk about how he can rebuild the temple in three days, yet he was not talking about the temple there in Jerusalem, he was talking about His body is a temple. Scripture says his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Lord lives in Jesus. He's the Son of God. And when we entrust our lives with Christ, he also comes and lives inside of us. And our our sonship, we become like Jesus in a sense that we have been saved, redeemed, and our body is also a temple of of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to give your life to Christ. And um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So go ahead and turn your Bibles. Matthew chapter 26. You know, you think about rebuilding, and many of you I know you're watching basketball right now. So why are we watching basketball? Or or none of the Kentucky teams are even left in in the tournament. You're watching basketball because you didn't have an opportunity last year to watch March Madness, so you're just excited something is on TV. Like there's some basketball to watch all day on, on Friday and Saturday, starting like noon all the way up to midnight, 12 hours of continuous college basketball. And that's just heaven for some folks to be able to watch that. And one of the teams that happened on Friday was they were in a rebuilding plan and they had a huge win. Ohio State, I know, I, I don't know if we have any Buckeye fans here today. Uh, they don't have a big following here in our, in our city, but Ohio State 
um, a lot of people enjoy not liking Ohio State, and they, um, they were seated number two. And in the college seating system, you always go for that underdog. You always want to see a number 15 seed beat a number two seed. And it happened on Friday. There was this team named Oral Roberts University. Now, I want to tell you about Oral Roberts. Two years ago, Oral Roberts went 11 and 21. I mean, they were, had a devastating year. The coach is about to get fired. You know, when folks finish that low, um, there's a lot of uh, just anger, angst. Folks are thinking, what's going on with our basketball team? Uh, we're not happy. And then last year, everybody got free pass because there was no tournament. It was canceled. So then this was, this was their first opportunity for Oral Roberts to get back in the tournament. And they did. They, they won their Horizon Conference and they were seated number 15 against Ohio State. And they won. And you look at, you look at how from two years ago, how a school that was struggling so much completely turned it around and now had a massive upset. It's only the ninth time in March Madness history that a number 15 seed is beat a number two seed. And tonight, Oral Roberts plays against Florida. So that's a big game to see if they can get into the Sweet 16. You're always cheering for that underdog. And that is what we're about to see here. Oral Roberts rebuilt their basketball program in two years. Jesus Christ rebuilds our lives. Some of us have come this morning, and you know Easter is right around the corner. You're uh, getting the vaccine. You're getting that back out in the world. School's now back in session. And all of a sudden, you realize things, things are different. Uh, relationships have changed. People, a lot of folks have passed away. And there's rebuilding in your life. And the great thing about the gospel and about Jesus Christ, he is extending that to say, will you trust me as you move forward? You know, spring, the first day of spring was yesterday. So the flowers are about to hopefully start blooming. It's a, a spirit of excitement here for many folks that, that spring, that Easter, that Jesus certainly brings for our lives. So I want you to follow along here in your Bibles. We're going to read this now. Matthew chapter 26, verse 57. God's word tells us, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Who is Caiaphas? Caiaphas is the high priest. Now, you know, we don't have a court system that Jewish folks had. They had religious, uh, religious court systems, and that's what the Sanhedrin was. It was a group of about 70 folks, and they would put people on trial for religious reasons, for breaking the book of Moses, for not following the law. So that is what Jesus is on trial for right here. And Caiaphas is the high priest. He's over the Sanhedrin. And it says, he goes and sees the, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. So Peter, is, he's kind of uh, curious, but he's also scared because Jesus is now arrested and there was great respect, respect and power with this religious ruling group. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus 
so they could put him to death. Do you know when you're looking for a reason to arrest someone or to reason to um, charge someone, and you can't, the guy has a clean sheet, he's got clean hands, a pure heart, then you just have to start finding some liars pretty much. And that's what we see here. Now we're just going to find anybody can just make something up and bring a false charge against Jesus. We'll be happy to hear that false charge. I mean, they are bent towards getting rid of this man. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, we know the law of Moses tells us that two witnesses' stories had to agree to hold up in court. So just one random person saying this, another person saying this, if they didn't, if they didn't match, that could not hold up. So apparently they found two people. They got together and says, hey, we've got a charge against Jesus. He said he could rebuild the temple in three days. Well, they have a magnificent temple there. And they knew Jesus wasn't that good of a mason. Uh, even some of that temple, the Wailing Wall, still stands today. That Jesus, Jesus was at. So this was a massive temple. And here is his charge that he's going to rebuild the temple. The high priest stood and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But look at this. But Jesus kept silent. Jesus didn't want bother to defend himself against these false charges. Jesus had a mission. His mission was he was going to the cross. He knew this had to take place. So ultimately we could be saved. So he could be resurrected. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Now, don't, don't miss the irony in that statement. This is the high priest who's actually talking to the Son of God. And he's putting him under oath at this point. By, oath by who? By God. By the very person standing in front of him. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him, but I tell you, in the future... Now, notice how Jesus always pointed to the future. And in many ways, he, that's reflective of our life. Us living in the past, us thinking about what happened last year, and past couple years, you can't, you can't win and build on that. Think about Oral Roberts. They didn't go into their big game against Ohio State two days ago thinking about, you know, two years ago, we were 11 and 21. We were a terrible basketball team. They went in the game with excitement, thinking we've got a chance. We want to pull off a big upset. We want to beat a team that many folks have selected to win the entire tournament. Christ wants us looking to the future. Your spiritual life should always be looking forward. Not looking back. God has a plan and a purpose. Easter is about new life. Easter is about an empty tomb. Many of you might be here this morning and you are struggling with certain sins. You're having relationship, friendship problems, or maybe you just haven't spoken to folks in a long time. And your circle of friends, it's, it's small. It's just, it's not as connected. You're disconnected like you used, compared to how you used to be. But look what Jesus says. But in the future, you will see the Son of Man. That's Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus called himself. That means the Son of God. The Son of Man seated 
at the right hand of power. The word power is capitalized in our Bible there. He's talking about God. He's saying God has power. He's sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying, you're going to crucify me, but I'm not going to stay in the grave. I will then go to heaven, then one day I will come back. You will see me again in power and authority. Now, that obviously was not an answer the Sanhedrin wanted to hear. So look what they did here. Then the high priest tore his robes and he said, He has blasphemed. Blasphemed is a serious sin in the Old Testament. That is speaking falsely against God. Jesus says the one unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That sin is not forgiven. Now what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? That is rejecting Christ in your life. And Jesus used it in the context of, of seeing God work in your life. And you say, well that's not God working my life. That's the devil working my life. Giving credit to the devil for something that God did. That's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what they're saying here. They're saying, Jesus, you have spoken falsely about the Lord. How dare you come in here and claim you're the Messiah. And you can rebuild the temple in three days. And you're going to be coming on the clouds. And then it says, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? So Cyphus, he's calling for the council. He says, we need, we need to make a decision on this man. He's blaspheming the Lord. What's your decision? They answered, he deserves death. Let's kill him. That was already a, they, they went in that plant, they went in that trial, planning to kill Jesus. Then they spit in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, prophecy to his Messiah. Who was it that hit you? What's interesting about he deserves death, the Sanhedrin, because remember, during Bible times, they were under the authority and rule of Rome. They did not have execution power. So if they were going to kill this man, Jesus, they had to get him into a Roman court. And this is why he would have to leave the Jewish court, which is the Sanhedrin, and switch over to the Roman court. It's kind of like he's in the local city court, but we need to get him in federal court so that he can die and get a capital punishment case. That's what's occurring right here. And then here they are mocking Jesus, putting him down. And the charge against the Lord is that he is going to rebuild the temple in three days. So we say, where does this come from? Where does this idea about rebuilding the temple in three days? What a serious charge Jesus would make. Well, let's turn there and see that. So flip over your Bible to the book of John. This will be our last scripture we look at. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 16 through 25. I, wanna, I want you to turn your Bibles, and we want to see what happened when Jesus went to church. Jesus went to church, and he found things he didn't like there. 
He saw people getting ripped off in a bunch of buying and selling and people making a profit and they were making money at church. So what does he do? He starts cleansing the temple. He go, went over, if that was a table, he'd turn it over and say, there's no place for this. There's, uh, uh, y'all need to get out of here. You've turned, my, you've turned my home, my father's house, into a den of robbers. He was basically driving out those that were taking advantage of people. Jesus looked at folks who came in with a pure heart. They wanted to worship the Lord and they were getting ripped off at the temple. And there's no place for that. You never want to, you never want to deprive a person the opportunity to worship Jesus. Do you know yesterday, our church, we had about 11 folks go out in the neighborhoods here and invite folks to church. And for the most part, people are receptive. 95% of the people. Now, I know one team told me, it didn't happen to me. One team told me one guy came to the door. He pretty much said, so y'all need to get off my property. I don't want to hear it. They had, he had no interest in hearing about the Lord and having an invitation to Broadway Baptist Church. And that's kind of the people that we see that are really against the Lord against church they don't want anything to do with it and here Jesus is we're about to see goes into church and instead of people worshiping he's seeing people being robbed of that opportunity worship how sad would it be for someone that you've been working on the opportunity to get to come to Broadway Baptist to hear about the Lord and that worship was robbed Jesus created us to worship him do you know when you walk into this place, the person you're sitting next to, nearby, in front or behind you, someone could have been praying for, this could be a likely divine message that they need to hear about how to be saved. God is working in their life. They need to hear the word of God. It changes people. We want to change our community. This book changes that. And what we have to get to the point spiritually where we have total confidence that when we're rejected or someone says, I'm not interested, get off my property, I don't want to hear about that, don't talk about that anymore, don't invite me to church anymore, they're not rejecting me or you, they're rejecting the Lord. He was rejected by the Sanhedrin. He was lied about. He had false testimony shared about him. And if it happens to Jesus, folks, it's going to happen to you and I. We will be rejected. All right, open your Bibles here. John chapter 2. I want to read this. Verse 16. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Because he saw what was happening here. He made a whip. He, there was a, a problems going on in church. And he starts driving them out. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, that passage, zeal for your house. Jesus was passionate about church. He was passionate about worshiping his father. He was that guy that woke up on Sunday morning, or back in Bible time, Saturday morning, and said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad 
unto it. So the Jews replied to him. Again, they didn't like this. He's causing problems for them. What sign will you show us for doing these things? Like, what, what authority do you have to come into church and start turning all our tables and driving these people out? Jesus says, look at this in verse 19. Jesus makes this statement. This statement is something that he said three years. That this happened at the beginning of his ministry. He probably never would have imagined what Jesus would have known, but... The disciples never would have imagined three years later it would have been held against him. That's why anything we say online, you know, it's frozen forever. I'll give you an example of me one day being rejected and you know, have you ever done something embarrassing? Uh, before I met Sherry, I went to Sanford University there in Birmingham, Alabama. We had a preaching program and we would go in these different rural country churches and that's a blessing going. Who grew up in a rural country church? Look at that, about one-third. Small church, you know, like, they, this here is called an order of service. David and country church, they don't have order of service. They, these things, are, many of y'all are holding a bulletin. Country church, you don't always have a bulletin. The, the bulletin's the, the preacher's announcements or the music minister. The order of service is just well, whatever happens. All right, preacher, it's your turn. Come on up. That's the order of service. Well, we, I, went, I, I went to this rural country church near Auburn, Alabama. And it was down south where we were at, and a couple hour drive. And I was down there, and I was like 20, 19, 20 years old. And you walked in church, and there, we get there super early, and it's time to go to Sunday school. It says, Sir, um, what Sunday school class would you like to go to? And I don't know why they, they asked me, because I've never even, I don't even know what town I'm in. And they're like, well, I said, I'm a college student. I have to go to your college classes. And of course, you know, rural country church, after the youth class, the next class, a lot of times it's a 60-plus class. So they put me in the youth class, which this tends to happen every week. I'm, I'm a college student going to the teenagers. So I'm in there, and I don't want to say I didn't have great expectations, but I'm in here with like 13-year-olds. It was like three or four little children, middle schoolers and high schoolers are in there with me. And I'm that guy just kind of out of place a little bit. All of a sudden, remember now, this is before I met Sherry. I didn't have a girlfriend this time. This teacher walks in and she was what they called a youth director. Well, she was about my age and she was a college student at Auburn. And she was involved with BC, BCU, BCM there, the uh, Baptist Campus Ministries. And I thought, wow, this is a good-looking girl teaching Sunday school. I was shocked. We're in rural country church. Where did she come from? Like, you know, you just don't see these type of people out in the middle of the sticks out here. And I have the, I'm convinced I have the spiritual gift of forgetfulness. And she said her name, but I guess I was mesmerized. I didn't get it. Now, this is before social media. This is before um, you, you had to use a phone book back in this time if you wanted to in rural country church, they don't even have phones. So it's like, you, this is primitive. So, and then I'm, so we had Sunday school and tried to show off in class. But I'm still thinking, who is this girl? I thought, I'm thinking, you know, here I am 20. She's a youth director. I want to be a pastor. This is just a perfect fit for us. I mean, I need to get to know her. Go to church and preach my heart out. Try to impress her. Didn't think about the Lord. I was, I was breaking what John chapter 2 says. 
right here, um, zeal for our house, for this girl who I still don't even know her name. I was trying to show up for her instead of the Lord. Well, I went home that day, and you know, young people at the church, you know, I'm with the, the preacher at the receiving line. You, young folks don't hang around. They bolt for the door. So I never got to, got to know, get her name or her phone number or like her address. You know, when I say phone number, I'm talking about the landline where you call someone and their mother answers back in those days. You had to know their name to talk. It wasn't like you texted them on a cell phone. I mean, nowadays, if you, once you get somebody's name, you, I could have already sent her a friend request on Facebook before he even left the place and looked at every picture she's ever posted. But this is before that. So I get back to school. I'm thinking, I need to find out who on earth this girl is. So I wrote a letter to the church. This is like on Monday morning. I said, dear such and such, y'all might remember me. I preached last Sunday and, you know, I had a wonderful experience and it was a blessing to be in your Sunday school class with your youth director. I was just wondering if I could get her name and her phone number. I just want to be, I'm going to make it spiritual, praying for y'all and maybe I could follow up with checking on how y'all are, y'all are doing and I could offer any services or evaluate. Well, and I put put my little probably 25-cent stamp back then on there and mailed it off. And I'm expecting in a week they're going to write me a letter because the church didn't have a website. This is like in 1999-2000. Didn't have a, an email address. Uh, didn't have a cell phone. Didn't have a landline phone. This is a rural country church. So I'm waiting. Waited a week, and like, I was anxious to check that mail. Another week went by. Third went by, I'm thinking, okay, something's wrong. After about a month, I realized either it had to get lost in the mail or she wasn't interested in writing back to me. And then I felt embarrassed by month two. I thought, I hope they destroy that letter. I hope that doesn't come back to haunt me one day. Well, here's this guy writing a letter trying to find out the youth director's name and get her a phone number. Like, who is this creep? Like, that's what I was afraid was going to happen. Well, what Jesus is telling us here, he made this statement. Have you ever did something like that where you wrote a letter, you made a comment, and you hope years later it never comes back? Jesus made this statement. Destroy this temple, and three days later, I will build it back. And by the way, sure, I still haven't heard from that girl. It's been like 20-something years. I don't know what, what happened. It was total rejection. You know, I had to rebuild my, <clears throat> rebuild my pride after that. Well, you know, when you write that letter, it's like sending a text to a girl and she doesn't reply. Do you think what, what, you know, something got rejected? It's, it's called ghosted. Remember from a few weeks ago when you get ghosted and you don't hear back from someone? Well, Jesus made a statement. Three years later, they're holding him to his words. Our words matter. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus has never forgotten that commitment you made to him. You said, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I've entrusted who I am to you, Lord. And he wants to hold you. If you've come this morning and you have a, you have a broken heart, you have been rejected, you have been hurt, you are, you, are, you are dabbling in sin that you should not be dabbling in. Jesus is extending this Easter season forgiveness to you. Look what it happens here. 
Last few verses. Verse 20. Keep following along in your Bible. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build. 46 years. They knew how long. Not 45, not 50, 46 years. They knew down to the T of how long it takes to finish that building project. And you're going to raise it up in three days? They're thinking, this man is crazy. He can't build this temple in three days. He's not that good of a worker. Verse 21 says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. They remembered those words. Destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. Do you all know what that means? He would not entrust himself to them. It means he knew, if I trust you, your words are empty. But his words are true. Jesus says he's going to rebuild your life in three days. Many of you have been working and struggling with something for maybe 46 years. And the Lord's saying, I can change you immediately. We trust our life, our family, our marriages, our children, your grandchildren with the Lord. Christ is asking us, Part of the rebuild we see here that Jesus is doing. He's saying, just, just trust me. Whatever is, on your, whatever is heavy on your heart, I have an easy yoke, a light burden. Give it to me. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Do you know, I think about what a rebuilt believer looks like. What does a rebuilt believer looks like? If you want to be rebuilt from maybe some, uh, some battles you're struggling, some sins you're wrestling with, it involves two things this morning. It involves the putting to death sin. Do you know Colossians 3, 5 tells us that we are to put to death sin in our life. In order to do that, you have to have the Complete confidence says, Lord, I'm struggling with this. And I'm going to kill it. I'm going to end it. It's not going to be dominant. I'm not going to allow this sin to define who I am as a believer. Whatever addiction that is, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever bad attitude, whatever unforgiveness you need to extend to someone else, you cannot let that define who you are. That's what it means by Colossians 3, 5, to put to death, to kill sin in your life. The only thing we're ever supposed to kill, the Bible says, is sin. You say, Daniel, what about the animals in the Old Testament? Do you know why they killed animals in the Old Testament? To for sacrifices for sin. That was their sacrifice to the Lord. We don't kill each other. We kill sin in our life. God extends, he gives life. He wants us to put to, put to death that which has completely just paralyzed our spiritual life. And I tell you, for a lot of us, for, for, for us as Christians, a lot of times, many of you say, well, Daniel, I don't, I don't struggle with some of these outward 
outward sins. But the sins you and I might be struggling with are the spirit of unforgiveness. You're hurt and you refuse to speak to someone about it. The spirit of bitterness, you've become angry towards someone else and they might not even know it. Those indwelling internal sins will damage your spiritual life. You will not have a resurrection Easter if you're angry with your brother or a family member, your children. You've been hurt. And Jesus is saying, you have to forgive them. Jesus is going to the cross for you and I. That's why we celebrate Easter. He is resurrected for you and I. We didn't deserve it. and We still don't deserve it. Number two, last thing here. What does Easter, what does a rebuilt believer look like this Easter? There involves a resetting of our hearts. So two things. It involves killing a sin and a resetting of our hearts. Do you know Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful. If you trust your heart, you trust your emotions, you trust what you, your so-called gut, it leads you astray. The Bible tells us we are to trust in the Lord. Our hearts lead us away from God. So this morning, I'm asking you, Jesus here, he's being charged that he could rebuild the temple in three days. And he's talking about his life. And if God resurrected him and rebuilt him, he can do the same for you. What do we do to respond to the Lord? We kill sin in our life. That's called repentance. We turn from our old ways. We turn to the Lord. And we have a resetting of our heart. Our hearts should be pointed towards the Lord. That man that told us to leave his property, one of our teams yesterday, his heart is not right with God. You will, you will, when someone talks like that, you walk away and you pray for their salvation. There are people all around us here in our city that are desperate for spiritual renewal. Their lives need to be rebuilt. They've been broken, they've been shattered, they're hurting. And I'm encouraging you and I, we want to be a part of that. We do that by telling them how to be saved, inviting them to Easter, and knowing that if that's you this morning, it's total trust in the Lord. It says, Lord, I can't do this on my own, but Lord, I know you can. You came out of the grave in three days. You rebuilt the temple in three days. The temple for us is not the building over there in Jerusalem. The temple is Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who we've come to worship this morning. Don't allow someone to rob you of that worship of the Lord. Jesus said, zeal for my Father's house consumes me. That is a passion for the Lord. Do you have that same zeal this morning? Are you passionate? Are you excited about spring, about new life, about living your days and your time for the Lord? I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to close this in prayer. We close every worship service with an opportunity to respond. I want you to be passionate for the Lord. You come, Bill, I'll have an opportunity to take my hand, take Brother Hurt's hand, and say, I want to turn to Jesus.
God, I pray for the folks this morning. You are in the rebuilding process. And there are some folks here. There's people in our community. There might be someone listening here. They have been disappointed. They have been hurt. They have been let down this past year. And Lord, you want to pick them up and lift them up. Lord, we're asking you to rebuild our lives this Easter season. I pray if there's anybody here that needs to respond to you, they have that same zeal for your house that consumes you. Lord, consume us. Give us a passion. Make us zealous for you, Lord. Not zealous for basketball. Not zealous for, for making money. Not zealous for our activities. Lord, we want a zeal for you. Lord, we thank you for being able to come to this wonderful church and worship you. God, I pray this invitation is an opportunity for us to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be standing down front. I'm going to invite Brother Hurd here. He's going to come join me. You can make a decision to follow Jesus or to join Broadway Baptist Church this morning. You just come forward and take our hands. Let's all stand together and we'll sing our closing song. I've decided to follow Jesus.